what I realized very quickly is that um, what I don't have in experience, I have in energy and passion. And actually, mm. that's you can't teach that. And that's really hard. So I, I think I found that very, very um, helpful in my journey. Hi, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Two Pence Worth a series where we hear all about the stories and the successes, sometimes the challenges, but most importantly, the advice and tips of female founders in climate tech. The reason I decided to do this series was because I read a stat last year that said that in 2022, for every one pound of VC money that was invested, less than two pence went to companies that had female founding teams. So 2% of money was going to female founded businesses. So I wanted to do my part to champion the incredible work out there that's being done by women in climate. I wanted to be able to shine a light on the innovations um, and, and sort of the new products that they were bringing to the market, their journeys. I wanted to address the challenges where there were some, but I also really wanted that to get them to share their resources and their advice to help other people that were going on that same journey. So if you've missed any of our previous episodes, we've had some incredible, inspiring, uplifting stories from some excellent women in climate. So please go and check those out. You can either watch them in video form on my LinkedIn profile or on our YouTube channel, um, or you can listen to them on the go um, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And today we are joined by Francesca Kennedy Woolbank, co-founder of Carbon Bright. Francesca founded Carbon Bright as part of the Carbon 13 Venture Builder with the goal of helping retailers, suppliers and brands in the consumer goods space to understand and reduce the impact of their products. Francesca has spent the last seven years working for Unilever and in that time she's developed a real expertise in that consumer goods market and worked across every part of the business from logistics to warehousing, new product innovation, brand marketing, operations and, and I'm sure she'll share that really interesting journey with us. She also has a really clear entrepreneurial drive and she has founded not one, not two, but three sustainable sustainability related startups. Um, so yeah, Thank you so much for joining us, Francesca. Really pleased to have you here. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Cherry. Thanks for inviting me on. My pleasure. And I'm really interested to hear more about Carbon Bright and for you to share with everybody. I mean, I gave a little bit of an intro there on what the platform does and, and who it helps. But are you happy to go into a bit more detail for us about what the platform is, who it's for, what it does and, and, and everything that you're working on? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so as Harry mentioned, I'm the co-CEO of Carbon Bright and also a co-founder. Um, and what we're really doing, just as our beachhead kind of market, is focusing on the consumer packaged goods industry. So that's everything that's sold in a supermarket from food to drink to home care to beauty and personal care. And so what we're working or who we're working with are brands, suppliers and retailers in that space who really want to understand the impact that their products have on the environment. And, and in fact, about 90% of their total emissions, so that includes their operations, the buildings, the shops that they own, but 90% actually sit in their supply chains, in their products. And a lot of these companies, I'm sure you've seen, have set net zero targets by 2030, by 2050, um, but actually are really struggling to put that into practice and set plans. So what we're doing is helping companies understand first, measuring what is the impact. And when I say impact, 
I'm talking carbon, biodiversity, water. In fact, there's 16 different metrics that we um, go into. Um, what is the impact of that product for them? And how can they redesign products so that they can um, reduce their impact? And this is something that they, they want to do because they've set these targets through um, SBTI, but also they're going to have to do anyway, because there's regulation coming through from um, about Q4 this year to, to next year. It's still in transition phase right now, but it's getting there um, where they're going to have to do full uh, mission, um, un full understanding of their products. And yeah. this is usually done through a life cycle assessment. So this is a scientific way of measuring all of the emissions within a product. So it, it goes through each of the different life stages. So um, really quick top level is raw materials. It goes into the manufacturing. So the manufacturing emissions, the transportation to um, the, the store. It'll be also the transportation all the way to distribution, to consumers home, to the, the waste plant. It takes into consideration you using the product. So, for example, if you have a can of Coke, you put it into the fridge and the emissions of that to keep it cold oh, nice. and also yeah. end of life. So if you then take that can of Coke and then recycle it or it goes into incineration or landfill or maybe you get to reuse it because it's now a brand new circular model. It takes into the emissions at every part and then that's what you basically add up in a nice little sum um, and that gives you the the emissions of that product. So then imagine it's then on a product. So then you as the end consumer going into that store can then decide on which product that you pick up because you can actually see now which one's actually better for the environment. And I know that a lot of people would be shocked when they get to actually see this kind of information because it's a lot different to what you think. Gone are the days, oh, let's just chuck a load of cardboard on that product to make it look like we'd be more sustainable. It really looks at everything. So where are you getting this cardboard from, for example? Um, like calories on food, we're mm. doing that, but with the impact factors. Amazing. And that is something that is not only desired by consumers, but like you said, is going to be mandated and required by yeah. the, you know, the onus is going to be on those suppliers, retailers, brands to be doing that. Um, so that's amazing. Incredible. And a huge data challenge, I would imagine, from your perspective. Absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing. So the way that life cycle assessments are currently done is via usually a consultant. So a consultant would spend about, I mean, I've, I've heard one product taking nine months to do wow. one product um, and it costs a lot of money. That's actually what got me into this is because I wanted to do it for my first business called H2O Squared, which was a bottle business. And I really wanted to understand the impact of that. So I was like, okay, oh, there's this thing called life cycle assessments. Oh, I can go pay a company to help me do this. And they charge 25,000 pounds. This was the Carbon Trust. I'm going to say it, I don't care. But the Carbon Trust, and they use consultants to um, do this assessment. If it's going to cost 25,000 pounds per product, this is never going to happen because no. it's way too expensive. It's not scalable. And so what we've done at Carbon Bright is to turn it on its head and said, okay, we're not going to use consultants. We're going to use really powerful technology, which is my co where my co-founders come in. You know, they've got backgrounds in AI and machine learning. So we are crawling the internet. We're using 100,000 different data sources, using primary data. So we, under we can basically um, create a digital twin of every supply chain of a product and making this happen instantly. So rather than you having to pay 25,000 pounds per SKU, and by the way, for a company like Unilever, where I work with 77,000 different products, this is a $1 billion problem for them. If they wanted to do this in the current, we call it the dinosaur way, um, it would cost them over $1 billion. 
we've then said okay well let's help you with that let's make this scalable let's do this instantly for using technology and get to the point where you can start either putting this in front of consumers but more importantly starting to decarbonize so redesigning product looking at the you know where are the hot spots where are the the big places where there's a lot of emissions and let's focus in on those areas right now and do give you recommendations on how you can start reducing your impact right now that's what we're doing but yes data problem it's a real thing and finding you need to find the right data sources you need to partner with the right people that's the way to really do it and that's what we're focused on is accuracy of data amazing i love that and obviously so you've as i mentioned before founded founded carbon bright through the carbon 13 venture builder um and we've interviewed another couple of people from from other cohorts as well throughout this series so if anybody's watched previous episodes you'll know a little bit about what the venture builder is but for those who haven't and those who don't know um talk us through just in a real kind of little nutshell there what what the carbon 13 program is but perhaps sort of what your experience of going in and and kind of meeting your co-founders was Absolutely. So for anyone that doesn't know what a venture builder is, because I did not know before, I didn't even know these things existed. Basically, it's a way of helping you accelerate your business. So um, there's different types. You can go in with a ready form business, but Carbon 13 um, was actually founded from um, professors out of Cambridge University. And they did a whole um, thesis and said, oh, in order to solve the climate crisis, we need to we need to get um, entrepreneurs to do this because they're more agile. They can do it really quickly. And then they started a venture builder um, accelerator program, which basically um, is split into three different stages. So the first stage is one, you need to, you're a single, single founder. So by the way, other venture found, um, other venture builder programs, you don't, um, you could come in with a founder already, but in carbon 13, usually you go, you go in as a singular founder with an idea or without an idea. I already had this kind of idea brewing in the back of my head. I didn't know exactly how it would plan out, but um, went in and first stage as 100 people, you have to you know, find a co-founder. Otherwise, you don't move to the next stage. So managed to found uh, one, you know, a great co-founder in David. Um, you then move into the second phase. And that's when you really start putting together a business. So that's where you start saying, okay, let's build a business case. What do we stand for as a company? Let's speak to customers. What do they really want? Where are the pain points? Business um, canvas model, what was it? Canvas model, business canvas model. Can't even remember what it's called. But, but you do it, you put together a business model. You do that continuously. You're testing and learning continuously. And then at the end, you do a pitch. Then you move on to the next stage, which is kind of like where you um, go for investment. Because what's really important as a small business and as you're just starting is to really get money so you can continue going because you need to feed yourself. Um, Otherwise, entrepreneurs like myself, we cannot continue. We can't continue to build these um, businesses. So there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this. Um, Many of us didn't haven't worked or been paid, sorry, for for two years, three years. We're just working on ideas to try and solve this climate crisis to help benefit everyone in the world. Um, so a lot of sacrifice goes into being an entrepreneur and once you get investment and I think pre-seed which is the first amount of money that you get is probably the most important because that's what's then going to fuel you and get on getting the MVP getting the products so you can actually go out and sell it and actually make money from a customer but until you get to that stage you're in a really tricky situation so carbon 13 and there are others by the way there are many other different programs um, helps you do that and so it's find, finding a, a co-founder, building a business and getting investment. 
Perfect. That's a great explanation. Thank you so much. And how much you said there that you kind of went in with the germ of this idea already in your mind through your experience at Unilever, your experience of H2O squared and wanting to do this and finding it frustrating as a, as a brand yourself. How much did that germ of an idea evolve and change during that kind of venture builder process? Yeah, massively. So they really, so when you go into a venture builder, when you meet different co-founders, it, you really have to think about, okay, well, what are you trying to solve right now? Is it a matter of, um, is it consumer labeling? Because I was like, oh, maybe that's the focus. Or is it to do with scope-free reporting? Is it to do with redesigning products? It really gets you to focus in what is the actual problem that you're trying to solve. And that's when we really um, test and learn things. So I went in thinking still it would be a consultancy. I would, you know, the, co- the company that I was going to build would be a consultant-led one, but it would be a lot cheaper, faster, focused on SMEs. What we've okay. done is actually say, okay, no, this this can be done with technology. So bringing on tech partners. So my two co-founders, we've got David, who I met in Carbon 13. They're just, who's a CTO that we met outside of Carbon 13, um, have br- brought completely different perspectives on how we do things. So um, in for example, um, read large and natural language models, reading, you know, random information that's out on the web, on the web, putting it together in PDFs. That was something that I never even knew could be done. So 100% it's changed, but I would say it's more, it's changed more due to the people that I've met and my co-founders who were able to build these solutions that um, weren't even something that I even knew could be done in the past. It was like I used to dream of like, oh, what if we could just look at the, uh, know the packaging um, information from looking at an image on the on um, a website and they're like yep that can be done we've built it and it's like wow okay so it really is game changing and accelerates your business um, massively but I would say I already knew that there was a pain point a problem I knew who the customer was because I'd already worked in Unilever um, and really really understood the problem because I've worked in industry I'm almost a customer for Carbon Bright um, yeah. so I'm very familiar with the needs and wants of of what is required and what is needed right now amazing and then it was just meeting those co-founders that enabled you to solve that problem at a much bigger scale than perhaps you dreamed you even could absolutely so um we do work with all companies but really um we know that large fmcg companies are the ones that need this right now and so it really has changed like where do you focus on is it smes or is it large large um FMCGs. There's a lot of acronyms there. <laughs> so but the FMCGs FMCG. fast moving consumer goods, if you didn't know. Yeah, thank you. Perfect. And where are you at with it today? So when did you when did you kind of spin out from Carbon 13 graduate? I'm not sure what the terminology is. Um and, and where are you at today in terms of the the MVP and building that? Where what yeah, yeah. tell me about the current um, we have made amazing progress. So we are already working with customers. Um, we've got lots of pilots ongoing as well. So um, we span out in January, um, brought on teams, you know, finalized our pre-seed round, um, built that MVP and started testing and learning with customers. And now we're basically at the stage of uh, commercializing and building on, uh, building new parts of the product on as cons- customers use it. That's where we are. So it's grown extremely quickly. Um, there's still lots more to go so it's a matter of okay starting to bring on the key partners that we need um, to help scale at the at the at the, uh, the pace that we need but demand has been um, crazy <laughs> so that's good 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's how you know you're onto something good, right? And like you said, you know, the timing of it is perfect with regulation change that, you know, you've you've struck a, a really... Exactly. Yeah, you struck at exactly the right time. Exactly. Amazing. And what are you excited about? What do this sort of next six months to a year bring for you? Um, I, I'm really excited just to continue building it. I think the aim and the vision would be, you know, imagine if you could go onto Amazon and then filter for um, different products and look at the emissions per product and you could go for the, you know, the least impact product. That would be the aim. We want to be the most trusted source of impact data in the world which is built on industry global standards. So that is what we're aiming for. So um, we want to bring on and continue bringing on more and more customers, really building that out, testing and learning it, um, and then start, you know, working with those big tech providers like Amazon, like Shopify, and really embedding that into the everyday search of products. So basically anything that you buy, we want carbon bright to be behind your decision on why you might buy that so that that trusted data source love that that's a huge ambition but an amazing one i love that the world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but it seems like that's not something that you're not used to right so if you kind of as i mentioned there at the, at the beginning of the episode if you kind of look through your background there's this, you did this seven years with unilever of, of you know getting exposure to all these different parts of the business but also alongside that am i right we're founding other businesses yeah. at the same time so yeah you happy to kind of take us back a little bit to the beginning and and Talk us through that journey and what you learn and what you've done and in your other businesses. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I was really lucky once I graduated, I got onto the Future Leaders program at Unilever. And what that basically means, and, and I was in supply chain, you can apply and go into finance, marketing, and anyone who's starting out just, you know, graduating highly recommend going and working for a large company and getting on a graduate program because that's how you really learn about business like you're in the middle of everything you're working with big clients so started there um, and with that program I got moved every six months to a new job to a new location um, so I got moved out to Poland lived there wow. for six months on a in a logistics hub and I was our, my aim was to try and track every logistic movement of all of our trucks um, using a GPS tracking, so I had to build this app. Then I, I've been got moved to Cardiff and worked in the pot noodle factory of all places. So I was working, and they, I was working as a warehouse manager. They hadn't had a warehouse manager before. So at the age of twenty three, I was literally managing a team of twenty five men, um, working across a twenty four seven shift. So they were, you know, even over the weekends, I had people that you know worked for me worked evenings on weekends only so I would never actually see them unless I went in um, and then I worked in innovation so I worked I was basically in charge of the supply chain activities in beauty and personal care so what that meant was any innovation on simple dove Tony and Guy Tresemme I was the one in charge of the supply chain team to find the factory transport it over launch it in Tesco where other supermarkets are available um, <laughs> So all of that amazing background and responsibility that I had at such a young age definitely gave me the confidence and understanding of then how to run businesses. And I probably should say as well, like my, my family are entrepreneurs. My dad's a very, a very, very successful entrepreneur. Um, so is my granddad. So I definitely have it in my blood, I would say. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, that experience definitely then was like, okay, what can I do? So in 2020, of all times, I decided to take a career break to go traveling. <laughs> 
Um, as we know, COVID was <laughs> happened. So that was a very short-lived career break. Um, so during that time, I was like, what do I do with myself? Because I've taken a career break from Unilever. I had a year off. I couldn't go back. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start my business because I had, I had this idea for a while, which was why water bottles circular? Because they don't fit into any of my bags, my pockets. It's really frustrating. And I love to drink water and I carry water with me all the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I, I've, I have the supply chain experience. I know how to source a factory. I know how to transport things over. To be honest, that part's very easy for me. So I I spent a lot of money on purchasing and building, designing water bottles, um, which it's actually pretty insane thinking back back about, you know, I was really brave, really brave. <laughs> actually, but I don't I was like, no, what it's fine. I know it's gonna work. And sometimes you just need to believe in yourself. So I remember starting the business. I started it just on Etsy. I was using my friends as models, you know, taking photos with them. Um, then I started to build my own website. I taught myself how to code a website, build my own website. Then I started, I got onto Not on the High Street. They didn't want me on that first, but then kept knocking down on doors, got onto Not on the High Street, um, signed big partnerships with big businesses. And so it became a really, really successful business. It's now bought my house, which is pretty amazing. Um, and then from that, I became really interested in the, the impact of that product. And actually, because people were asking me, um, so, you know, what if you switch this material to metal? And then I started looking into metal production and it was actually really in carbon intensive. And that made me think, well, are metal water bottles even good? And so in, how do we know until we actually do a life cycle assessment? So it really got me interested in understanding that. Um, yeah. But then from that experience, I was like, hmm, I don't know anything about marketing. I, I, need, I need to learn about digital marketing. So I went back to Unilever after my career break and went into marketing um, so I was a SIF brand manager, which is a very, is a leading, uh, cleaning brand, if you don't know it. Um, and then I moved into digital marketing. I was leading the digital t uh, marketing hub there in home care. So running, you know, lots of massive campaigns on Persil, Comfort, um, SIF, Domestos, running those campaigns. I really got a, a really good understanding of how to do marketing after that. Um, but sustainability has always been in the, in everything that I do. And then I really wanted to move into sustainability, and um, so then I, I did move into sustainability and behavior science and building tech platforms that can really help consumers understand the impact of different products they buy. Um, and at the same time of all of this, I, I was running my businesses. So I um, very luckily with Unilever, I was able to work on this new future of work thing that they do called you work. And okay. what that means is I, um, I, I don't work full time. I have to work a minimum of six weeks a year for Unilever, but I can, in the other time, I can work on my own businesses and I still get paid a retained, like a salary, a, a very minimal salary. So it's basically um, a really, really, really great scheme that they did. They, off, they offer high performing people in the company that they want to have access to still. And um, I was just really lucky to get onto that. So I could still have that experience of a large corporate, but also I can do my own thing and start my own businesses. And that's exactly what I did. That's incredible. So first of all, wow, because <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot to have achieved yeah, at a young age. Yeah. And you must have been so incredibly busy. Um, but also, wow, with the confidence and the bravery. I mean, even at that very beginning of your career, jumping every six months into a new country, a new division, a new team of people like yeah. That takes a lot of bravery to suddenly be in Poland or suddenly be yeah. running a warehouse of 25 blokes 
packaging pot noodles like that's a lot to do I mean how did you feel scared did you get the imposter syndrome and and especially as a woman on that journey did you how did you find that difficult oh yeah massively I think it it was really scary I'm not gonna lie imagine moving to a new country new flat and new new language um it was and then suddenly having to be in charge of a whole team of people um I've it is intimidating and I just I've always been someone that's very detailed and I definitely do my research into things I don't like to go in situations where I'm unprepared and so mm. I made sure that I, you know, I did all the work I could do up front to look like I'm someone that is sensible in this position, but hundred percent had imposter syndrome, hundred percent. Like, why do they trust me with this? Like, <laughs> this is really scary. How can I do a better job than someone's been in this job for 30 years? But what I realized very quickly is that um, what I don't have in experience, I have in energy and passion. And actually mm. that's, you can't teach that. And that's really hard. So I, I think I found that very, very um, helpful in my journey. I did have one experience in the factory where I'm always someone that leads with my team. So I don't, I'm not standing at the top saying, you do this, you do that. I'm almost like, let's do this together. Let's work. And we're, we're collaborating. So I remember one time working with the team and at this, we were painting floors because that's what you do in factory sometimes, you know? Um, so I was like, okay, I'll come and help you do that. That's something that management don't usually do. And I remember one of the factory workers saying, oh, there's a woman down on her knees where she should be. And honestly, that was the only time in my whole like career and, and working life so far where I've really been like, wow, I've never experienced anything like that before. But I just think that it was an off the cuff mark. It was not something that I ever complained about, but I, it has definitely stuck with me and made me think about different management styles in different locations, maybe. So like, how can you um, still be a, um, a collaborative leader, but maybe act in certain different, in different ways. And maybe it was just, you know, one person who felt <laughs> a certain yeah. way, um, but yeah. and didn't really need to say that. Um, but I would say, yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's really, it has been difficult. It has been challenging. However, I'm very grateful for those, all of those experiences. I, I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be in, I didn't want to stay at the pot noodle factory. I really wanted to leave. I didn't have any friends when I moved there. I had to start a new life. I had to find a new gym. I had to find friends. <laughs> How do you find friends in a new location? Um, I wanted to leave so much, but my family were like, nope, you're sticking this out. Continue going. You'll be fine. And I think having that support is yes. second to none. Yeah. And like you said, I th- and I think partly confidence comes from that, right? Knowing that you've got love and support drives you to feel brave to go and do those things. So I suppose there's that. And and like you said, entrepreneurialism in your blood and having seen other people in previous generations, yes. like dig deep and do achieve and do things, I suppose, drives you forward. Oh, 100%. So one thing that my dad always said when we were younger, he'd point at a builder and say, if he can be a builder, you can be a builder. If that person can be a CEO, you can be a CEO. Like why never? So I've always felt like I should never limit myself. Like you can be whoever you want to be as long as you uh, continue and you're persistent with it. And that has stuck with me forever. And has paid off in droves by the sounds of it. And I love the fact that you've shown the example. So there's sort of one school of thought that the best place for you to learn is in a big corporate. And, you know, you have the experience you had of going through all those different divisions and learning through that. And then other people will go, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, the real way to learn is by doing it yourself. And I love that you've done both in tandem. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Definitely. I think you have to do both. I agree. Like if you go into a big company, sometimes you're very focused on just one thing. You're like a cog in a big machine. If you have your own business, you're doing everything. You definitely need to have both experiences. I, I, I if you don't have that large corporate experience, I don't think you've got um, some of the skills with working with cross-functional teams across different nations, um, how to communicate virtually, you know, to large, it's, it's very different to running your own business. I think you have to have both. Yeah, and especially in, in a situation that you're in now, right, where those large enterprise organizations are going to be your customer. The fact that you've been there, you've done that, you've lived it, you understand how they operate. I suppose if you'd never done that, it would be very difficult to sell to them, I guess, right? Yeah, no, 100%. You can speak their language. You can send emails the way they would send them. You can, um, you get to a level up with them. And one thing I've learned, business is a it's a people business. It's not about your product. I mean, it is partly, but it's, they buy from a person. People invest in people. It's, it's um you are the business so if I could teach anyone anything it'd be like how do you want to come across how who are you what are you building like make sure that is extremely clear you are a brand and they are buying from you just as much as they are buying from a company in fact people make up their decision I think it's like 97% of their decisions based on the on you as a person um and their belief in you Amazing. And that's where you said that energy and passion. That's something that you can't teach. And that that's what helps me make that decision, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of your kind of advice, I mean, obviously, that was that was a great piece of advice in and of itself there. But in terms of the tools and resources that you've used along the way, I, I always round out these um, episodes by giving these kind of three quick fire recommendations of, um, of things that you've used and would recommend resources you've used and would recommend to others to help them. So First one being what kind of people based resource? So that could be a network, a community, an organization. Do you feel has helped you along the way and you would recommend to others? I'm carbon 13. So I would join an accelerator where you can meet like minded sustainability founders. Um, There's other available. There's Techstars, there's Y Combinator. um, But I would join an accelerator and those people really, we're still on WhatsApp. We still talk. We're meeting up in a few weeks. I met you for uh, carbon 13 so yeah I would say that is a really great resource yeah amazing and what about a media-based resource that you would recommend so a book a podcast TED talk whatever it might be media-based um I really enjoyed the book rich dad poor dad it's nothing to do with sustainability but it's all to do with business and how you might think about a situation if you haven't read it I highly recommend that you read it I haven't read it can you okay. nutshell it for me <laughs> So it's um, a guy, he had a rich dad and a poor dad. One of one one uh, worked all his life, he had a job and he died broke. And then the other dad, he didn't um, work for someone. He started his own businesses. He uh, went into, re, um, into property and he died very rich. And basically it's about this um, idea that we're all in a society and just doing what we're meant to do, which is having a job. And he says that a job just means that you're, you're just over broke. Um, so it gives you the empowerment to go out and actually focus on all these other ideas that you can do other than just working for a company. Um, can you actually start your own business, whether that's on the side, like as a side hustle, whether it's a full-time thing. Um, so it really gave me the like, oh, anyone can do this kind of vibe. Oh, that sounds great. I'll order it. (laughs) (laughs) And what about a business role model that you would suggest? people follow could be someone in climate could not be but who do you look up to um 
Okay, well, I can only, out of my head, I can only think of something that I've, I listened to Brian Johnson recently, who if you don't know who he is, he he's, I would say, very misunderstood. He's someone that has started something called The Blueprint, which is, he's got a singular vision in his life, and he just wants to um, not die. And to everyone... really young man, the, the old young man. He's old, but he, yeah, he like, drinks his, his son's blood. He doesn't actually drink his son's blood, but people, you know, they're saying a lot of stories. The reason why I look up to him is because he's so focused on one thing, and he does everything in his power to just achieve that one thing, which is do not die. And he talks about how his mind controls him in ways that's probably not best for his body. And his just the way he is so completely determined just to not die. And he does everything to go against the norms of human life intrigues me. So not, not the blueprint as such, but just the way he doesn't care about what anyone else thinks. He's on his own journey. That's what I love. Because people that go against what anyone else thinks, if you think, if you care about what other people think, you're never going to achieve what you need to achieve. And I just, I love how focused he is. And I think if you can take one thing away from today and this podcast is focus on your own journey. Do not worry about what other people think. I love that. That's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Francesca. It's been an absolute joy, as always, speaking to you. Yeah. I always, I always love seeing oh, you around and, and chatting. Um, <laughs> Thanks so, so much for having me, Sherry. My absolute pleasure. Um, thank you, everybody, for watching today. We have got, I think, four more episodes coming to you over the next few weeks. Um, so please keep an eye on LinkedIn um, to see when the next ones are coming. And do come and join us again. But for now, have a great rest of the day, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.